mostly for businesses is about uh, taking on the hard to recycle plastic types. So in the world, there's 24 different roughly plastic types. And in Aotearoa, there's only the technology in the market to recycle four out of 24 types. And if you look at um, sort of the stats, like 83% of all waste, uh, is it plastic or plastic or is it just all waste in general? But 83% of our waste to landfill is um, from businesses. And so we, we really wanted to create a circular solution for businesses um, that makes it really easy. Purpose Tea Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. Everybody, welcome to episode 85 with Critical co-founder Rui Peng. Critical is a social enterprise focused on achieving environmental sustainability through waste reduction. Rui is incredibly dedicated to the circular economy. He's a man of huge perseverance, significant challenges in his startup journey. He's really connected to his Fano and he loves where he's from. You'll enjoy this episode. I loved our conversation. If you're enjoying these episodes of Purposely, please subscribe. And don't forget to share with a friend. Enjoy. Rui Peng, kia ora, and welcome to Purposely. You're the co-founder of Critical. What's its mission? What's its purpose? Oh, tēnā koe, um, Mark. It's, it's really, it's, yeah, it's great to be here. Um, so I'm one of the co-founders at Critical, and our co-papa, um, well, I suppose, maybe taking a step back, is um, as a Māori-owned business from my business partner side, like the, the the health and well-being of Taiao or the natural sort of our natural world is effectively directly proportional to the health and well-being of people and 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 on Taiao Maori there's a there's a worldview of that um in the land and the rivers uh, between us as people um there's there's a life force called a modi uh, called modi and this modi is what binds us together um and creates a, a, a kinship tie between us and, and our whenua um and and you know the natural world around us and so I guess as a as a Maori business um. You know, critical is driven to uplift that modi in, in our entire and because we also have kids ourselves um, a big part of how we why we started critical is that we want to be good tipuna or ancestors for our future generations so that they, they can they can prosper for not a hundred years but for thousands of years to come so it's quite big for us I guess those those two bits of kopapa and what it looks like is um, we critical is on a mission to end global plastic pollution and we do that by accelerating sort of the transition towards um, circular or sustainable or you know endlessly reusable sort of recycle building materials and we do that through our cleanstone critical cleanstone product which is effectively our range of uh, panels made from 100% recycled plastics it's beautiful it's durable and at the end of life we buy them back um, and recycle them into new cleanstones over and over again wonderful and one of the things i really like you've said is making recycling sexy which sounds like a good mission i think uh, what uh, probably from about you know, what is it now like eight years in entrepreneurship the the social impact and the environmental impact story is important but it's a bonus right like if 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 our mission is, is to be able to create long-term sustainable impact we need to do it with a great product we need to do it with a great business model that is scalable and that is globally scalable and you know um it has to be a great product that people want it has to be especially in the architecture and design and the building space if it can be a beautiful product, but also has environmental benefits, um, then you know, hopefully, it's a winner. So that's that's why we we try and create a first and foremost a great product. And the mission and the kopapa, what we do, why we do what we do, is is kind of a bonus. It's what drives us in the morning, but it's it's got to be a great product first. And in terms of where you're at, so you've been doing this, as you said, for seven to eight years. Is that right? 
So I, I'd probably say Critical went through um, two stages. It wasn't really a business um, when I started it at the end of uni in, in 2013. It was it was more just, uh, you know, we were in, I, I spent a little bit of time in community development and we were trying to sort of live alongside, yeah, like sort of people that has been uh, sort of marginalised, like people who need opportunity. And um, it wasn't until maybe 2017 or 2018 when, when um I think Fonterra were, were the initial sort of people that approached us about the opportunity for circularity for plastics. We then started the R&D in the material. So it, it really was only a business maybe at 2017, 2018 sort of a period. Yeah. And the rest of it was kind of, uh, a, it was like a community initiative <laughs> yeah. well, per se. And what does that business look like now? I, I see you've just been um, welcomed into a, a, a sort of incubator accelerator. What, what does the business look like today? So we, um, so as Critical, uh, we partner with corporates and businesses, and as, as well as a wide network of designers and architects. Where mostly for businesses is about uh, taking on the hard to recycle plastic types. So in Aotearoa, uh, um, there's well in, in the world there's 24 different roughly plastic types, and in Aotearoa there's only the technology in the market to recycle four out of 24 types. And if you look at um, sort of the stats, like 83% of all waste, is it plastic, all plastic, or is it just all waste in general? But 83% of our waste to landfill is um, from businesses. And so we, we really wanted to create a circular solution for businesses um, that makes it really easy. Um, so how it works is as, as, as a corporate will send us their plastic waste. But we would, before we even take the plastics, agree upon the number of critical cleanstone panels that they will then procure off us. And basically, if they send us 10 tons of plastics, we turn them into 10 tons of cleanstone panels that they then buy, buy back off us so that we, we ensure that the plastics, 100% of the plastics is going somewhere um, and it's not going to be leaked and, and go somewhere else that, that's not accounted for. And so what does the team look like? Is it how, how big you've got um, office space? Like what's the kind of day-to-day look like? We've launched our first stage um, factory last year in june at the end of june so we we started setting it up in the beginning of last year and then um and when we finished it sort of roughly at the end of june we, we got hit by this big tornado the papatuitui uh, tornado and it pretty much undone six months of our setup and our work and it was pretty devastating um but um yeah i, I guess you know we're, we're you know we're missional driven co-founders and not going to take no for an answer and effectively just did what we needed to do to now build it back to, to place. So we have our factory over in Monaco, um, close to the airport, um, over in South Auckland, and where, where the products um, sort of are all designed and manufactured here in Auckland from Auckland Plastic Waste. And you do, you're doing this with your co-founder. Um, and, you know, who, who's running the business? Who's doing the product? Or, or is it you do, you do both? We're still a, a startup, definitely. We're, albeit a growing startup, but we are a startup. So there's there's myself, um, I, I sort of take on the sales and the, and the product, um, making sure that the product that we're creating is going to solve a need for our customer. And I sort of lead a lot of that stuff. My business partner, Adam, he's, 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 um, he's our, sort of our chief operating officer. He looks in the details, our finances and our numbers and our figures and make sure that it all stacks up. We have a part-time um, CTO who runs sort of, who's in charge of the technology development and the processes for our production. But there's a lot of overlap, you know, like between, <laughs> yeah, just because we're, we're a startup. Um, so there's, there's, really, there's only a, a team about a five, five or six of us, but depending on when a project comes through um, and, it, and then it gets big, we would effectively contract that out to other people to, to execute on a project.
So your initial funding came from what family and friends and just people you knew, and you're moving, shifting that on to to get that next phase of capital. Yeah. So we um, so so the the accelerator startmate program has been pretty incredible for us. So they they're sort of like the Y Combinator, um, which is this really big, well known um, accelerator over in the states. I think yeah, close to Silicon Valley. They're sort of the, the Aussie and New Zealand equivalent of that. And we're currently going for a seed round, trying to raise um, sort of circa circa two million. And basically, what that's going to get to is to be able to increase our production capacity and increase our technology development and advancement, um, so that we can build a blueprint uh, to potentially create a, a micro factory model that we can scale this uh, this app. And how are you guys paying for your stuff? How, how are you keeping some of the lights on and the bills getting paid? basically off the sales of projects uh, between that and, and a mixture of investments. So the, the uh, we've been pretty uh, scrappy in the last what, um, couple of years in the sense that we, we already have delivered on pilots for big businesses using our business model and using our product now technology. And so um, we've been fortunate enough to, to be in a space now where we're talking about you know uh, what? What is a what is a regional and, and a potential sort of national rollout of the solution could look like, and that's that's what we're in the negotiating table at. So at the moment, it's a combination, you know, between investing a sort of investment and and just the growth of and the revenue from ourselves. And are you finding is a shift in actually more people are walking to you, be that from corporates or other organisations where previously you might have had to sort of sell to them more. Yeah, we, we're feeling pretty <laughs> oversubscribed, and if anything else, the, the the biggest thing, the biggest challenge that we have ahead of us is um, how fast can we advance our process and our technology, and 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 a big part of that is actually how fast can we close our um our our, our, our seed round of investment so that we can invest in the right tooling and the, well not not the right one but we we've created a scalable solution and, and now it's just getting more and more of the same solution. So we're really hoping to close our seed round of investment quickly. And, you know, as a Māori business, there's, there's two iwi that we're talking to who are potentially interested, and there are a few others as well. So it's it's really just about for us gearing up. And the, I, th- I think one of the one of the potential trends based on what, we have, what we're observing is that, you know, big businesses would have, you know, investors. There will be public traded companies and they will have investors who are sort of are requesting for them to answer to the sustainable development goals. But there's also customers, a growing shift in customers demanding um, sustainable relevance for some some of the some of the big brands that they choose to buy with. So it's and but that and combined with just businesses wanting to do the right thing themselves, which means that we are we are pretty oversubscribed of requests and, and to do a project to be able to um, de- deliver on them. Absolutely, and and focusing on you a little bit. So you're um, a, a son of of uh, migrant Chinese who were who came to New Zealand to uh, for a new life, and you live in uh, Tamaki Makara in, in Mount Roskill. Yeah, I, I'm happy to happy to do. I should have um, did it at the start, but um, so so called Puki Tapapa Te Maunga, um, called Te Owanga, Te Awa, uh, called Pangtaka Tipunga, um, called Manchu Rawa, called Han Oka Iwi, um, called Roskill South, to Kainga, um, called China, no, uh, no China Aho, called Reping Tukingua. So I'm. So we we are um, so I am we fuck a papa fuck a papa back to China. So my my whanau or my parents um, grew up right at the tail end of the Cultural Revolution. Um, so they, I think they grew up sort of in you know relative poverty and yeah there was a, a lot of scarcity, and sort of they were sort of in that first wave of generation where they worked really hard and and um, yeah got sort of education themselves over over in, in, in what a, a quite a difficult time over in China. But I think at the time, my parents didn't quite agree with the political climate over in China. And, and like a lot of immigrants, you know, wanted um, a place to be able to 
raise their kids that um, have better opportunities, but also have also the mindsets to be able to self-determine their own future. Um, and yeah, so they came to Aotearoa in the 19, we came in 1995 with $2,000 in their pockets and to quickly realize that <laughs> um, Aotearoa in the 90s was a very different place. So that the education was no, was discredited, um, the experience was discredited, and there was a bit of racism, you know, and, and a big part of my bringing was, was, you know, trying to see my parents find their tūranga waiwai, or their place to stand, and yeah, observe them through, go through a lot of hardship and grit, and it's, an, it's a set of experiences I wouldn't trade for anything in the world, because it helped inform, you know, my ability to give empathy uh, to, you know, to people living both on the margins, but also, and, and, but also on, on the other side of the tracks too. So they they landed in, in Auckland and they set up uh, to, you know, to live in, in Mount Roscoe and that's where they had you and and what your siblings. Yeah, so they they I think they would have originally came to. Um, I remember they would have originally stayed in Otahuhu for a couple of years, uh, most of my primary years, and then they moved over to East Auckland. And then it was only until sort of after I finished school, well, yeah, sort of I I um, it was it was more just my own formation for formational period where sort of i i moved into roscoe south and in my last year of, of school they actually moved to melbourne what were the values that were in your family that were maybe different to what you found um in aotearoa what growing up like what was the was it was if um you know because i've seen you say publicly your parents are incredibly hardworking and really resilient i, th- I think um yeah, yeah. This is interesting. I, I was um, this, this is really, really great questions, uh, Mark. And so I, I think um, the I, I, there was a few, uh, probably a few different stages of of that. I think a big part of it was um, when my parents came to Aotearoa, they realised that um, in the nineties as well, and, and that's I, I, I repeat that with purpose because the nineties in Aotearoa was very different to right now. But they they quickly realised that you know it was at the time when um, if your last name wasn't effectively European, then you wouldn't be considered so hard for jobs and stuff. And a big part of my primary schooling was actually my, my a big part of my parents sort of saying to me, you know, Rory, you got to stop hanging out with the Asian kids, go hang out with the white kids <laughs> and assimilate, assimilate yourself into the culture so you don't have to run as hard as we can for equal opportunity. And it, and so I, I think growing up for me, one side of it was that I feel a lot of sort of whakama or, or, or shame around, you know, my Chinese whakapapa um, and, being, and being bullied and teased quite a bit at, at school as well. And it wasn't until sort of through the years I've had, you know, good mates and, and their whanau who took me in, but also some some mates who were Māori as well and brought me a bit into tikanga um, over the years. And, and they still guide me and, and teach me in that space themselves today. Is, is actually, yeah, a big part of it was through sort of the love of good family and friends, and, but also a bit through kaupapa Māori and tikanga that actually helped me really embrace my my Chinese whakapapa. Um, but my, I guess, a big thing I saw from my parents was just, um, especially my mum, was was that there's just this dogged perseverance. So we're we're we fuck papa to the Manchurian Chinese, which is a minority ethnic group over in China, and they they did used to be um, the royalties of the Qing Dynasty. And so when my mum told me this, I was like, "This is amazing, mum. We're trying to raise startup funding. Can we um, <laughs> sell off a bit of the Forbidden Castle so that we can, you know, we can raise a few million dollars for the business?" She goes, "I'm sorry, son. Like we." Um, we don't hear any of that, but what we do get to inherit is a few generations of government oppression, not being able to tell our stories, which is not so dissimilar to Maori as well. So yeah, so I, I guess there's um there's there's just this, this dogged perseverance, and what the Qing Dynasty were known, or the Manchurians were known for, was the matriarchs. So the the woman was was um you know there were the you know the few that didn't bind their feet, 
and it was the first sort of um, ethnic group that in, in the in the whānau household, um, there was the matriarch where, where the, the mum or the grandma, you know, had, had the mana, had a lot of power. And growing up in our, in our household, for damn sure my mum was the person with, was the matriarch. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so observing her perseverance and not giving up and being sort of, um, having all odds sort of thrown against her, um, retraining herself, you know, degrees well, three or four times to, 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 you know, to find that belonging as a teacher and, and doing it really well was just lessons where, uh, yeah, I guess in many ways, I, I don't take no for an answer. And um, yeah, there's probably heaps of times when Critical went through a lot of hardship, you know, Tornado being one of them, where we could have very easily thrown in the towel, but it's, it's just not how I'm wired. Yeah. <laughs> um, luckily enough, <laughs> or foolishly enough, you know, time will tell. And your <laughs> determination to... Um help those around you so you talked about your you know having a surname that may be asian or that's you know give you huge disadvantage or just looked over for roles and and looked over for opportunities tell me about your mission very much uh locally in, in mount roscoe about creating opportunities for young people tell me about that yeah there's probably another chapter to that story it was um i think i think i would have been in and we might have alluded to it a little bit in the TED talk but we um I think in my twenties, like I, I went into architectural school, and, and again, it's probably it's a different generation now. This would have been um, almost yeah over ten years ago now. But um, I went into architectural school, sort of thinking that um, I, I was going to find brothers from other mothers and sisters from different ministers who's who's going to care about solving some big problems. But really struggled within the within the culture of the place. Like the the creative work was amazing, but there was a lot of sort of um, self success it's about building my personal legacy you know as an architect it's about designing great buildings but at the cost of not working for communities and stuff and it's not the same now the school is very different now but that in the, in the five years i was there that was kind of the what i've what i've heard and i got really tired and ended up burning out and i think um i think in 2009 i like overworked didn't sleep and had a car crash um where yeah like my my bowels got ruptured and i snapped my collarbone and if the doctors didn't rush me into surgery, I probably wouldn't be in a different place <laughs> that night. And it, it was one of sort of those, it wasn't the only event, but it was a series of events where I realized that like, there's, there's something about the environment that I'm in, not quite aligning with sort of the values or the kopapa that I have. And and it was about that time where there was a group of people um, uh, sort of all, they, they were connected to Roscoe, Roscoe Baptist Church. They were exploring you know, what does it look like to live among, you know, yeah, like, what is it not, you know, it's, it's not, you know, faith and mission isn't just about going to church every Sunday, but it's about living among sort of neighborhoods and, and making their problems our problems and, you know, to put ourselves in their shoe. And it, it was sort of, yeah, it was, and, and that was, well, within a blink of an eye now, that's, that was probably about a five year sort of a, a journey in that, in that space of that group of people. But, but I, I probably went into that as a young 20 year old thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm here to change the world. I'm here to save <laughs> as what all you know foolish young people sort of think like i'm here to change change oh you know there's there's migrants refugees looking for work i'm here to like create an impact but you know very quickly it became it wasn't it wasn't about that at all it was about a place of mutual belonging you know some of the the the, the, the friends that we fortunately got to journey with you know some that were trying to come out of get out of prostitution or out of um get out of gangs and stuff to start their inferno they actually became some of my closest mentors and teachers and friends. And it very quickly was, it wasn't, it wasn't about, you know, like me being this person that's going to change this community, but it was how this community changed me and how I saw the world and stuff too. And yeah, yeah more and more like in our neighborhood, like um, we just keep hearing more 
stories that just broke our heart, like um, young people who didn't grow up the same privileges even as I have, um, and who are sort of, yeah, the school system didn't care for them so much, or to uh, refugees and migrants struggling to find work is what sort of, I guess, set set my heart, you know, set myself and my business partner, Andy, at the time, set our hearts on fire to go, how do we, how do we, you know, how do we, yeah, what, what, what can we do, like, in, in this space to care for our neighbours and create those opportunities? And I think that theme of disruption, adversity, all those things actually sometimes been good because it, it creates different ways of thinking and through diverse ways of thinking, stuff gets done differently. And it's good to hear when you talk about things are different or things have changed, like if you think of in, in our, the place that we live. And, you know, I've, I've seen online a, a photo of you, you know, front of centre, meeting the HRH, um, you know, but Prince Charles, uh, the guy who um, who has a real keen interest, he has huge power, keen interest in circular economies and sustainability, and uh, here you are presenting your um, your wares to them, which I think is fantastic. In terms of you know the circular economy, in terms of New Zealand, um, which uh, you know has been wholly re- well, singly reliant on primary production and some quite dirty forms of energy, but some real innovation and transition happening also. Do you, you know, Critical's obviously going to be playing its part. Um, do you feel positive about the future and our ability to sort of solve some of the big issues around the climate and, and use of resources? And do you feel positive? Yeah, I, I, and I think as, as um, you know, like as an entrepreneur, you have to be an optimist. Um, you have to be able, there's a, there's a really great, so I was part of this um, really awesome project with um, my mate, Simon Ngafika from EY, who's one of the CCAS um, sustainability consultants. But this is an amazing sort of Maori sustainability practitioner. And, and um, you know, through him uh, working on the project together, we were exposed to more like the Polynesian navigation. Um, and I think I think also through Leadership New Zealand, um, I heard um, this beautiful sort of um, mickey uh, given by Justice Joe Williams, the first Maori to become Supreme, Supreme Court judge, I believe. So he told the story of... Uh, of effectively how sort of how um, how Coupe, uh this would have been eight hundred years plus ago, navigated from with no scientific instruments but intuition and the ability to read the natural world to navigate from um, Hawaii to Aotearoa, and it was it was effectively a feat likened you know like I think the Jared Diamond the anthropologist at the time likened it to like uh, man traveling to the moon. And in Polynesian navigation, and um, there's, a, there's a great book written by um, Dr. Shelley Spieler called Wayfinding Leadership, and they break down the lessons of sort of Polynesian navigators. But, but one, one of the stories that really sort of captured my heart was the story of Nainoa Thompson, who's, who's now, you know, he's a modern-day Micronesian. He takes other, you know, he's one of the sort of those um, teachers who takes other people across the same navigational journey from, uh, from Hawaii to Tahiti with no navigational equipment, but the ability to read the stars and to read the oceans and read the, read the land and read the clouds and read the birds and stuff. And he told a story when he was learning about the navigation, um, he did the sort of training with Mo, which was this Micronesian man who was a navigational master. And he, he would, um, after sort of all this, all this bit of training, you know, Mo would take Nainua Thompson. And I hope I'm telling the story right, and if I'm not, I'm so sorry, but, um, but Mo would take Nainua Thompson on the edge of um, the island of Oahu at a cliff face overlooking um, the horizon. And he'll, he'll go to Nainua Thompson. Nainua said, you know, Mo told me, recite the star chart from here to Tahiti Nui. 
and it's 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 hard, right? It takes twenty minutes to recite the, the star chart to, to know how you can navigate the the, the ocean like street light and using the stars as street lamps. And he will do it, and it will take twenty minutes. And then Mo said to him, "Well, no, um, Nainua, can you can you see the island?" And Nainua looks into the horizon, and he squints his eyes, and obviously he can't see anything. And he goes, "Mo, I I, I can't. I, I don't know what I don't know what you're asking of me. I can't I can't see the island." And then Mo sort of finished the lesson, not saying a word. And the next day they come back, same thing, recite the star chart. And then Mo asked him, like, Nainua, can you see the island? And Nainua, you know, he felt he had a crisis of confidence. He's been sort of training for this journey for, you know, what, two years or two plus years. And, like, he knew that this was a make or break point, whether he get to go or his, him and his crew have to pack up and leave. So he had a crisis of confidence. And he goes, well, Nainua, I can't. I don't know what you mean. I can't see the island. So the, the third day they come back, same thing. It's like Karate Kid, sort of wax on, wax off. <laughs> yeah. And Mo will ask Nainua, can you see the island in your head? It, it clicked for Nainua, and Nainua said that he closed his eyes, and he imagined the island in his head. And then he goes to Mo, and he goes, Mo, like, I I can see the island. I, I can I can see it in my head. And, and then Mo said to him was, well, that's great. Remember the island, or remember that picture in your head, because, like, you will go through stormy seas and windless nights, and evenings where there will be no stars at all. And in those times that you're in, if you can't see the island in your head at those times, you will die. And because you're the navigator, your crew will die with you. And it will be your fault. You grip onto that. You grip onto that in terms of uh, guide. You'll have lots of um, rainy days and, uh, and lonely nights and doing what you're doing, yeah? Yeah. And, and it's you know, not just me, but any, uh, you know, any, you don't have to be, an entrepreneur of a startup to you know go through adversities but it's you can it can be anyone and and it's and it's the importance of being able to you know see the future and to be able to you know like yeah in polynesian navigation they they call it um it's it's not so much about you moving to the island but it's about you call you standing still and you call the island to you mm-hmm. and I, I think it's just so true like when you know like there's just been countless times when the tornado hit and there's just nothing <laughs> like big floods in our factory all the machines are water damaged and you know roof is everywhere and there's what we didn't know it was going to take a year for it to be built back properly um well six months at, excuse me at least and if in those times we couldn't see where we're trying to go and the future that we're trying to build then it's, it'll be so much easier just to pack our bags up and and to do it and so that's i guess one of the yeah especially in sustainability and taking your family on that journey i imagine um so very supportive uh whanau. Yeah, well, well, even if you think about, like, in climate change, where, like, you know that it's... So one, one of the things... So when, when Coupe decided to set sail uh, to Aotearoa, so one of the, the original the, the original gangster of Aotearoa, of Māori, um, the original gangster of Māori, he observed this, um, the, the, the bird, this bird will sort of arrive in Hawaii every... I think that every, every September... And it will stay for roughly six months. I, I hope I'm getting the facts right. I hope I'm not getting it wrong. And it will fly away again. And Kupe realized, you know, this ancestor, this Māori ancestor, of, or the ancestor of Aotearoa, realized that there's got to be an island somewhere in that direction. I can't see it, but I know it's there. And I think if we think about the kind of leadership that it takes to move us into a, like a, a carbon, you know, zero economy, you, you, we, needed, we needed the ability to be able to combine both data and science, but also... We need, we need to, there's, there's another set of skills that we need <laughs> that I think the Polynesian navigators can teach us right now to be able to navigate to that future. Yeah. And in terms of keeping you on your, on your mission and, and kind of touch, you know, grounded to your purpose, 
what's what's done with you? Is, do you do you talk to people? Do you read things? Like, what do you do day to day to, to make to keep you kind of close to that? Oh, that's a good question, Mark. Um, a lot of things. <laughs> I think I think um, finding communities or people that inspire you or that it will for me that inspire me um that are set on their own journeys yeah i think the community of people um who, who gets it uh who gets the journey that we're going through who are on their own journeys towards um solving a solving a problem or uh, i think talking to people is, is, is massive like having having communities who understands um so you know i've got my best mate uh, we we process stuff with i've got my wife i've also got through Startmate this community of other you know amazing well 15 other founders doing amazing initiatives themselves who really understands the journey now like that's that's huge um i mean the other thing is, is also like um I, I find sort of it's really easy to get overwhelmed and, and stressed in the day-to-day sort of steps and so i find sort of like mindfulness really helps with that so re- being grateful like keeping a keeping sort of some notes of what you're grateful for at the end of each day also yeah also i mean we we, we my whanau and i we you know we we come from faiths and so like um yeah like going going to the going to the stories of Jesus and and you know the, the history and, and the story of that like it's it's really inspiring as well it just it just helps us to sort of anchor ourselves that we're not the center of the universe and that we're sort of serving something much bigger than ourselves and we're you know we're we're part of the story we're not the story but we're part of that story yeah I don't know just keeping healthy boundaries keeping yeah I'm not I'm not very good at doing those but yeah. <laughs> get told just keep keep healthy boundaries of when you work and when to switch off and yeah communities that inspire you and reading stuff that inspires me and podcasts I listen to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks on my drive drive to work and drive home um they all they all, they all do their thing yeah in terms of is there someone or is there an organization or a you know, company that you that's kind of you're most excited about or you know love to shout about like is someone doing some great things that needs some needs some amplifying that you know Oh man, that's a hard question, Mark. I I don't know. Like, there's, there's just so many. Um, like, I th- I think it's a very exciting. I, I I do think that it's a very exciting time to be alive because we it's it's yeah I, I, it's a bit of a bit of a um bit of a wishy washy answer I feel like, but I, I I do I do see I do sense the shift happening. Like um I feel like every startup that I that are kicking off today as a social enterprise and it's such a and it's it's really encouraging yeah like I, I even even some of the sort of like the people within the big businesses that we're working with themselves like they their heart is in the right place and they 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 understand what what needs to change and then they're you know they're effectively entrepreneurs so they're kind of entrepreneurs inside an existing organization trying to make shit happen that just i've got countless examples of people like that doing doing that in big organizations and then, and then there's just also just like, um, yeah, I guess friends of mine I've known over the years who are just really faithful youth workers and 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 community developers who's just sticking with people and journeying alongside them through thick and thin. Like this, this there's, there's a lot. I, I can't answer that one organization. Yeah, one one thing that excites me, I suppose, is that people are starting to really focus on their purpose. So, um, you know, when I first my first go at that was, you know. My my whanau, my children, and my purpose, and, and that's and then and someone sort of reminded me actually that's just survival, and that's that's what what really is your purpose. But there seems to be a lot of people focusing on their purpose, and this idea that you could have a purpose that might evolve, but it's it's a purpose that you could that might just guide what work you do, 
people you hang out with, yeah. the leisure time you take, but, you know, the, the volunteering you may do. But people get uh, really down this idea that what's their purpose on this earth? And, um, and, and so many people are talking about contributing to make society or the world a better place, which I think is, does lead to an exciting time because, like you say, there's a lot of people focused on it. Just before we go to, to wrap up, you've got children. What's that like? What, how, have you, um, how have you sort of brought them into your sustainability approach and your circular economy? And, and what does it look like in your household around plastics and, and use of resources? And yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. That's a good question. I feel like I'm I'm probably not not a very um, exemplary example. <laughs> like I, I think um like I've, I've I've been thinking about like if, if we're, we're sort of reflecting on our kids, I've been thinking about um like if, if anything else, like the, the generation of our kids who are going to school, um, they're the ones inspiring me because their their level of zealousness towards the circular economy and sustainability it's it's just beyond you know like my generation mm-hmm. like, as, as their parents. Yeah, like it's it's yeah. I, I, the world will be such a such a different place when our our um you know yeah when sort of our kids become like have senior leadership positions you know in, in organizations or have startups and businesses themselves. I think it'd be a very it'd be a great it'd be amazing it'd be a different place. So if anything else, my kids inspires me. Like the other thing I've been reflecting on lately is, is uh, my wife and I've been sort of reflecting on is, is like we've deliberately took you know like a like a journey into entrepreneurship you know, pretty early, like in, in our, in our mid twenties, or even in our early, yeah, since in our twenties. And like, there's a, there's a really good book by Malcolm Gladwell. I think it's called David and Goliath. And he, he sort of, he, 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 it's like the second book to like outliers, but he breaks down, he sort of breaks down like success and, and people that you know grew up with some level of adversity and having the resilience to be able to you know think differently and approach things differently so that they can take down giants um you know like giants at the time but um one of the things i thought about was like when we when we were now i would have been now sort of almost in our mid-20s my wife and i you know had values which was we we're going to live by we believe and, and not so much lead sort of a comfortable life it, w- it was going to be a bit of an adventure for us and a huge part of that was you know for for the, for the most part of our and we're you know we're not that far out of it yet still but for the most part of our, our, our all of our 20s like we've lived off what is it like 25 30k a year and we have three kids in that space and like and when i think about sort of like like and we've made it work and when i think about sort of like the my upbringing and seeing my parents go through that journey and be able to observe all those lessons yeah like it's yeah i, I don't know where i'm going with this but in, in some ways that you know it feels like a oh man i've i feel like i've done like i've done my kids a real doozy like doing that but at the same time i, I don't know not at all like they, they get to they get to my parents um, our kids get to hopefully <laughs> see like a, a, a model example yeah. of their parents you know living a life that that they believe in and chasing chasing a mission that they believe chasing in a mission, and chasing a mission chasing yeah absolutely yeah so if anything else there's probably yeah how how i've been thinking about it we're justifying it eh, Matt? <laughs> well uh, yeah it's hugely impressive what you're doing um yeah love the fact that you know new zealand's going to look different in the future and 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 that's you know a lot down to people like yourself, entrepreneurs like yourself, um, and you know critical will play a critical uh, part in that. So um, wonderful and good luck with Start Mate, and thank you for joining me on Purposely. Got it. Thank you, Matt.
Thanks, Ma. Killer, bro. So, um, appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing, because I sure do.